The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decision. Today on StockDoc, I'm speaking with Oliver Horn, Executive Director and CEO of Elixinol Global Limited under the ASX ticker code EXL. Elixinol is based in Australia and develops and distributes hemp-based medical cannabis products to the global market. Now, the medical cannabis market has seen enormous volatility. Firstly, many of these stocks exploded in value in 2018 with the promise of legalisation and the development of new markets and new industry. Subsequently, many stocks plummeted as regulation stalled, business plans pivoted, and concerns about oversupply cast a shadow over the sector. The US election sparked renewed interest in the sector with the expectation that Biden will have a more accommodating approach, and the cannabis sector received a long overdue shot of investor confidence last week with Biden emerging as the new US president. So I think it's time to revisit the sector and get a handle on where things are up to and what's ahead. Oliver Horn, welcome to the program. Thanks, Nigel, for having me. Oliver, can you tell us a little about your professional experience, especially in relation to retailing of consumer products globally and how you came to join Elixinol? Yes, of course, Nigel. Look, I've been a consumer packaged goods professional pretty much for all my life. Um, started at L'Oreal throughout my marketing career, then Treasury Wine Estates for 13 years, and then lastly as um, MD for Swiss Wellness, running the Australian and um, um, America's business. So really deep nutraceutical experience. And the reason why I joined Elixinol is because I'm fascinated by the CBD space and the opportunity to you know, turn a business around, which is so well positioned for growth in this exciting space. Well, Oliver, the medical cannabis sector has developed a reputation for being volatile and high risk, and many companies, you know, touted that they would be achieving, you know, lofty heights. Many of these companies have disappointed shareholders. Mm. Looking at Elixinol, it seems that your business activities and burn rate were previously anchored to an expectation of, you know, rapid market acceleration, regulatory easing, you know, and consumer adoption. It's almost like this was a gold rush moment for the whole sector, but then there was no gold. It's very obvious to me that Elixinol has taken steps to adjust. But before we talk about that, can you tell us a little bit about the the hubris that overshadowed the sector and how that impacted Elixinol and its shareholders? Absolutely. I think the term gold rush is, is a great term because, you know, um, with the increased legalization you know, of hemp and CBD in, in the US, there was really that moment in time where everybody rushed into it, and um, we did as well. We built capacity to supply a much bigger consumer demand than actually emerged. We had supply contracts with growers um, you know, and invested ourselves into a vertically integrated supply chain um, and expected huge demand. But what happened was the demand didn't emerge, but the competition emerged and created a real intense and fragmented environment um, that it now goes through a huge consolidation phase. And, you know, what I'm really pleased about that we've navigated that, that space and that time period in time and now come out really, really strongly. Well, Oliver, I'm looking at some of the changes that have been made to the business and I'm almost tempted to describe it as Elixinol 
Can you talk us through some of the people changes that have been made, including the transition of a founder chair to an independent chair? Yes, look, we really see it as an electional 2.0. And for us, rejuvenation starts with the people and the leadership team. And um, we are very, very pleased that we've instilled new leadership capability all the way from the board to the global leadership team with myself and the regional leadership team. And in particular, our new board, Helen Weizmann, who is a former KPMG audit professional um, and a public company director, really experienced public company director coming in as our new chair as of September and really signaling um, for us, you know, this transition from an owner-operator um, run business into now taking it to the next phase of our life, becoming a CPG company uh, that's publicly listed and has global reach. In my view, the challenge in managing a medical cannabis business in the pre-COVID era was really resisting the temptation to drive an expansion strategy because there was this mm. sort of self-referential belief that the market was about to get so big. Can you explain your strategy today and how you've refocused? Yes, our strategy is very, very simple now. It's very single-minded and it's focusing on creating a nutraceutical CBD brand under the Elixinol franchise. Um, so we're very, very single-minded. Previously, we had B2B business activities, private label, bulk label. We invested ourselves in many geographies and many business ventures, um, and we've shattered that. We've become streamlined, become focused, and what we are now um, really putting all of our efforts uh, and capabilities against is building this consumer brand across the world. And uh, as you know, you can see that um, we launched our new consumer range in April this year to great success simultaneously around the world, and it's testament to the strategy, really. Yeah. Well, you know, you've driven a very large innovation program uh, within the company, and I and I'm seeing developments in the you know products, e-commerce, and even global distribution. Maybe starting with the products, can you talk us through the rationalization and the core consumer product range that you're offering today? Yes, look, what we are offering is basically a nutraceutical range that is based and founded in CBD. So it's not a, just a CBD product range, which is 100% pure CBD, um, but we are adding actives uh, with proven health benefits, you know, whether it's turmeric of the world, the ashwagandhas. Uh, probiotics, for example, and we're really taking our product into the nutraceutical and vitamin supplement space that consumer understands, whereas CBD is still misunderstood. And we're doing that by speaking their language in terms of packaging and ingredients. And I think it's that strategy which differentiates us from our competitors you know, as we're building our global brand. Mm, yeah. And it's not a single product brand as well, which I was quite surprised by. There's a reasonable um, you know, breadth of the range, isn't there? Yes, we look. We got over twenty products, and yeah, you know, we're adding new products really, yeah, you know, by by the month. You know, we have tinctures, we have topical creams, uh, we have capsules, blended capsules. We got liposomes in our lineup, um, all for different indications and um, supporting different health benefits. And very very excitingly, we launched now the first comprehensive um, CBD skincare range, eight products, the full skincare regime, which is really a first on a global stage, I would argue, um, and we're leading the way there. Yeah, and that's what caught my attention. Oliver, on the global distribution, you've got to deal with Boots Chemists in the in the UK. Can you briefly tell us a little bit about this opportunity? Yes, it's actually uh, Boots Island um, that we have this distribution with, and we're very pleased that Boots Island um, wanted to partner with us to launch that CBD skincare range. So 
Now we are the first comprehensive skincare range in their lineup. We're in over 70 stores out of the 80 plus stores. Um, and the range has just been launched in, um, in September only uh, with Boots. So that is fast really a testing ground for this new great skincare range. But it's on top of a lot of other distribution that we have in UK and in, in Ireland, um, namely, for example, Well Pharmacy, which is the third biggest pharmacy retailer. We're in over 500 stores um, with eight of our products. And that's just one example on you know, the resonance and the feedback that we're getting for our product range that gets listed so readily by the biggest players in town, really. Mm. Well, um, reflecting on your UK strategy, now, you know, as we're recording this, the UK is about to go into shutdown. What do you think this is going to mean for your next quarter's results? Um, I have no doubt that uh, we are facing headwinds like the entire industry um, is, is facing. And we're not immune from that. You know, we would be naive to say so. Um, and so I do expect a very challenging uh, couple of months ahead. Um, but that's not to say that we are... Um, in the best possible position given the environment, because you have to remember that we are offering wellness solutions that are very topical, anxiety, stress, sleeplessness, immune health. That's what consumers are looking for. So we're prime positioned you know, in that space. Plus, very importantly, we're operating in resilient sales channels. So we're operating in pharmacy, which is an essential channel, and we're having a significant effort against our e-commerce and TV home shopping channels, uh, which we have been doing for a long time. And so we are going to make the best out of this very challenging situation. I think we're going to be emerging one of the best performers, even though it's a headwind to what we've been expecting previously. Mm. When I look at your business, it's hard not to um, spot this subsidiary called Hemp Food, Hemp Foods Australia, my apologies, which I understand accounts for about a quarter of your revenue. Can you tell us a little about this business? It's based in Byron Bay, I understand, and the growth it's experienced. Yes, look, um, Hemp Foods Australia is a beautiful story. Um, if you go, go on Google and search Hemp Foods in Australia, it's number one, two, and three that comes up. So it's really well long established. Um, it, it's really a go-to brand for Hemp Foods. We provide uh, proteins, temperate proteins, um, hemp seeds, um, even hemp skincare products under that range. It's now 25% of our range. Um, it's growing really, really nicely. And what we've actually seen throughout COVID in Australia, when the first wave happened, um, that April time, we actually saw a significant uplift in our sales as consumers are more switching to in-home consumption of healthy food choices. And given it's plant-based, um, high in protein, high in um, omega-3, it's a perfect combination. Yeah, we're seeing this is actually a really strategic pillar of our business um, because it's bang on consumer trend. We have a strong consumer story here and great product lineup and it's growing and it's nearing profitability, uh, which is so important for us. Oliver, in the US, the FDA may be looking to regulate CBD as a food product. How will this regulatory change impact the US market? And can you briefly comment on any changes that you've seen in the market after the Biden presidential election? Yes, absolutely. Um, look, the first of us, for us, you know, um, no matter where you sit at in terms of uh, your political allegiances, the Biden administration is good news for the industry. You know, they're going to be taking a much more liberal stance you know, on medicinal cannabis and CBD. Um, and five states actually went to the polls and uh, voted yes towards further legalization. Um, and we believe that in itself, plus that the new Biden administration is favorable to the States Act, which allows states to regulate um, CBD themselves more freely, um, will give a new momentum to the industry and legitimizes the industry, gives more access to capital and new investment. And I think we've seen that 
in the scare rally that we've seen over the last um, couple couple of days for certain. Now, the big moment in time for all of us is, you know, hopefully the FDA regulating um, you know, CBD as a dietary supplement, and that opens up a whole bunch of new avenues, you know, where it's not just a digestible uh, pharmaceutical product in a way or, or nutraceutical product, but where you can infuse a lot of other um, food products with CBD. And that's really where the whole industry is hanging in for because it's a catalyst, a seismic catalyst for the industry. And, and we expect that to happen within the next 12 to 18 months, really. Mm. And Oliver, the Europe and the UK seem to be regulating CBDs for, uh, CBD from different perspectives. As I understand it, Europe is looking to regulate CBD as a narcotic, whereas the UK, again, they're looking at it more as a food. Um, it would seem to me that your company is well placed in the UK market. Can you tell us briefly about your strategy for, for both Europe and the UK? Yeah, absolutely. Look, in, um, in the UK, the UK is firmly committed to a novel foods um, mm. pathway, which means we need to submit a novel foods application, which has um, efficacy information, toxicology studies, um, a whole scientific dossier, which we are currently, um, you know, submitting to the, um, you know, FDA in, in the UK. And, you know, we firmly expect that that application gives us legitimacy to trade, um, throughout next year when March 21, this new regulation comes in effect. So we are, we are very confident about our UK position. That's why we're investing ourselves so, so heavily. EU, on the other hand, is sitting on the fence a bit. Um, they've actually made a preliminary conclusion that CBD is a narcotic. Um, we're waiting for the final conclusion. Italy, a couple of weeks back, declared um, CBD as a narcotic, asked retailers to take it off shelf, and then made this great backflip just a, a week or so ago, where they now said, no, no, you can keep on trading uh, CBD. And we believe this is a bit of a um, sign of things to come, um, as we actually believe the EU revisits their stance on CBD and it's not going to declare it as, uh, as a narcotic. And that opens up for us um, a whole new market that we are very, very close to and have already distribution arrangements within. But but for now, you while Europe's sorting itself out, you've, you seem to have some um, deep roots into the uh, UK market, which is very positive. Yes, that's right. And look, I mean, as anybody can see from our investor presentations, you know, cash, you know, we're really, you know, have an iron grip on cash at the moment. And we're picking our investments. And those are clearly in the US and in the um, in the UK where we're embedding ourselves. We're not facing opportunities, um, you know, that are not positively contributing to our cash growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means the UK is where it's at. Look, we have We've been in Europe for two years, really, with a team. We've invested $10 million to build a team. Um, and it's predominantly UK-focused, where we have great distribution and great contacts. And we're talking you know, to many, many retailers at the moment who have seen our success, you know, to take part in that success story that we are delivering to the industry and category in the UK. Mm. And in your past life at, uh, at Swiss, uh, Swiss is sort of renowned um, in many respects for its um, dealings with Asian markets. What's your company's strategy with regards to Asia and in particular Japan? I'm a big fan of um, the Asia story and certainly under Swiss, you know, I've, I've created a lot of relationship into the Chinese market. That was a huge part of our business and I've cherished those opportunities and I've taken them with me into Elixinol. Um, and for me, China is, um, is, is, a, is a potentially a game changer in the future. Um, it's still not legal just yet, uh, but there are channels where you can trade CBD. Um, we are actively having discussions in China um, with partners at the moment, um, which is for me very promising and also very comforting, comforting because I know that environment. Um, so nothing to you know, announce and advertise just now, just that we are looking at it and I know how to navigate the market and I'm confident that we have a play. 
Um, in Japan, on the other hand, we've been in Japan for the last six, seven years. Um, we've you know, had a subsidiary in Japan, which we extracted ourselves of and have now a licensing agreement with this uh, subsidiary. Um, and we're relaunching our Elixinol range really completely in a different guise than what you see in the rest of the world, targeted at Japanese consumers with Japanese formulations made in Japan um, and really on consumer target. And that's an exciting time uh, for us as well as we are building our global business, you know, to see Japan, you know, having one of the top three brands um, coming to market new and relaunching. But Oliver, finally, what can investors expect from Elixinol over the coming quarters? Look, I think they should just um, basically look at our last quarter that we've were delivered. We've delivered 18% growth, um, you know, on the previous quarter on a substantially reduced cost base with you know great new distribution, a good new product lineup, and we will going to build on this um, on the strategy and, and that momentum that is now working. You know, so we certainly look towards um, you know gaining more distribution in a quarter, more efforts on e-commerce, more product launches. Um, and really harnessing this momentum that you've seen in, in this in this last quarter, ending September. Um, so I personally think, you know, COVID will be a short-term challenge for us that we have to navigate. But you know, for me, the midterm over the next you know six to twelve months are an exciting time, and we are in the best possible position, you know, to have a really really um, you know robust and healthy you know year ahead of us now. Oliver Horn, thank you very much for joining me on the program. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, and it's been an interesting discovery for me to uh, to, to spot Elixinol. Um, I look forward to watching what happens over the next few quarters. I wish you all the best with uh, this expansion strategy, and um, congratulations on the, uh, I guess, the rejuvena- rejuvenation of the company. Nigel, it's been an absolute pleasure, and thanks for your question, thanks for your interest, and look, hopefully... Yeah, we can talk again yeah, in six months' time um, with more good news. But till then, I wish you all the best. Thank you.